As I mentioned, I'm not going to look at the book of Revelation today. We're scheduled to do Revelation 15 and 16, but my alma mater, the University of North Texas, you know, I started in studying Revelation on Monday morning, Monday afternoon, Tuesday morning, but I was, I was going to watch the game Tuesday night because if they won their semifinal game, they were going to play for the NIT championship on Thursday night, and they won, which meant I was out of town on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. All of that to say, I got good work done on Revelation 15 and 16, but I did not feel ready to preach it this morning. So we're going to look at a passage that I've shown you before over the years, but hopefully if you've heard this a thousand times, I hope your heart will be, Lord, how do you want me to apply this to my life right now? Now, a couple weeks ago, um, someone in our congregation encouraged me not to use so many football illustrations. And my th first thought was, I don't use a lot of football illustrations. <laughs> hey, I don't. I don't think. Maybe I need to go back and listen. Well, you're going to get another one today. So there you go. In football... Much like any sport, we watch a lot of film, right? Most often, in preparation for the game, we watch film of our opponents. In particular, I played on offense, so we're watching film on their defense to see what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, what are their tendencies, what are their strategies in this particular situation and in that one all with the hopes of getting an edge as we face that defense. There's some lessons I'm sure we could draw from that. But at the same time, we would sometimes, not as often, but sometimes watch film on our position. In my case, watch film on another quarterback who was modeling exactly what coach wanted me to do. Here in a few weeks, my great and wonderful high school football coach, Tom Kimbrough, is going to be inducted into the Texas High School Football Hall of Fame. And it's been a long time coming. It's taken way too long for him to enter in. And so I'm going to be out that weekend to go and celebrate with him. But oftentimes, coach would get up on the board. He would show me the X's and O's. He would talk to me about what he wanted me to do. And then he would say, hey, hit the lights. And he would, back in those days, eight millimeter film. And he would, he could work that machine so fast. And he'd get his finger in there and roll it right to where he wanted it. And it was Steve Ulmer, 1977. Monty West, 1983. My favorite, I think the best Plano quarterback to ever play, Steve Needham, 1987. He'd say, Mitch, you see what he's doing there? You see how he takes that little back step to create the space between the offensive line? You see how he attacks the inside foot of that pitch man as he heads down the line of scrimmage, forcing him to make a decision? You see how he pitches it right out there just perfect, and he would show me what he wanted me to understand and how he wanted me to play. You'd, you'd get the chalk talk. Here's what I want you to do. But then coach would say, let me show you 
what I'm talking about. You get an example, a model, someone to emulate. And I think Paul believed that that was very important in the Christian life also. At least a couple of times in the book of Philippians, Paul tells us what he wants us to do, but then he says, now hit the lights. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Cotton Mather was a Puritan hundreds of years ago. He wrote this, examples do strangely charm us into imitation. When holiness is pressed upon us, we are prone to think that it is a doctrine calculated for angels and spirits whose dwelling is not with flesh. Right? When we hear the, the Bible calling us to a life of holiness, we think it, it's, it's got to be for the angels. It, it, it's got to be for spirits that don't have anything to do with us. He goes on, but when we read the lives of them that excelled in holiness, though they were persons of like passions with ourselves, the conviction is wonderful and powerful. So let's jump in and see Paul give us some chalk talk and then tell us to hit the lights. In Philippians chapter 2, I think Paul's going to call upon you and me to humbly serve others. we got to move quick today if I'm going to get through at all. In chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion. Now, some of your translations might translate it since. Since there's encouragement in Christ, since there's consolation of love. And that makes sense, and, and it does carry that sense. But Paul's use of if, that could be translated since, but probably is best translated if, is meant to draw us in. We're meant to read that and go, if? What are you talking about, Paul? Of course there is. Of course there is encouragement in Christ. Of course we've experienced the consolation of his love. Of course the Holy Spirit has come within us and we have enjoyed his ministry. Of, of course God has acted towards us in affection and compassion. Of course, what are you talking about, if? Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And so he's, he's calling upon the body of Christ, brothers and sisters in the local church, to be unified and, and one. Verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So humbly serve others. Be a there-you-are kind of person. Be a how-can-I-help kind of person. 
Where can I be a blessing to others? To be humble is not so much to think less of yourselves, but what? To think of yourselves less. And to think of others more. How can I not only meet my needs this morning as I come into church, but how can I meet the needs of others? How does God want to use me this morning to be an encouragement to others, to be help to others, to be loving to others, to meet their needs, not necessarily looking out for them to meet mine? So Paul calls us to something very wonderful here, and then he says, hit the lights. Let me show you what I'm talking about in verse 5. Have this attitude, the kind of selfless, humble selflessness he was just talking about. New American Standard reads, in yourselves, but it, it probably better translated, among yourselves. Hey, Philippian church, hey, hey, Redeemer, among yourselves, in your relationships with one another, have this attitude which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. There's way too much theology to explore there, but it certainly speaks first of the exalted nature of the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He humbled himself. The eternal Son of God took to himself a human nature. He became one of us. God became a man. He humbled himself to do that and then to go to a cross for us and for our salvation. He didn't look out for his own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. He's the quintessential example of what Paul is calling for. He regarded others as more important than himself. This exalted one humbled himself for the good of others. Verse 9, for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So many words, Paul says, be like Jesus. Just like Coach would say to me, be like Steve. Do it just like Paul says, do it just like Jesus. D.A. Carson says, 
we profess to trust and follow one whose entire mission was characterized by self-denial. In obedience to his heavenly Father, he gave and gave and gave. Your attitude, writes Paul, should be the same as his. Give and give and give. In our relationships with one another here at Redeemer Community Church, let's be like Jesus as best we can. Coach would show me Needham, and then he'd say, hey, now watch this. Here, let, me, let me show you Monty a few years earlier. Let me show you he did the same thing. Look down at verse 19, chapter 2. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. So Paul's in prison, and he sends this letter, and in the letter, Paul is expressing that I want to send Timothy to you shortly. Verse 20, for I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Paul probably doesn't mean that I don't know anybody else like this. It probably means at my disposal right now. Paul, I'm sure, would have said these same sorts of things about so many of his brothers and sisters in Christ. But he had Timothy there with him, and he hoped to send him soon because this brother is concerned for your welfare. They all seek after their own interest, not those of Christ Jesus. What Paul had said, don't look after your own interests, but also the interest of others. And here's Paul saying, you know, these... These other folks, they seek after their own interests, but not those of Christ. You know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. Timothy could, or Paul could have said, Hey, guys, I'm going to be sending Timothy shortly. Be on the lookout for him. But he goes on to tell them about Timothy's character, and Timothy's character is that he is, one, interested in the well-being of others. He's living out very practically what Paul had just called the Philippians to do. He was in many ways living out what Jesus Christ had done for us. Coach would then sometimes say, hey, let me show you one more. Let me show you Steve Ulmer, 1977. Paul goes on in verse 25. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. So Epaphroditus is probably the one who's carrying this letter to the Philippians. So Epaphroditus comes home, we're about to see, if you will, and delivers the letter. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death. So here's Epaphroditus. He's in Rome with Paul, and he is sick as a dog. But he's going, Paul, 
I want to go back because my brothers and sisters in Philippi, they have heard that I'm sick and they love me so much it's killing them. So I, I want to go back and see them and, and let them know that I'm doing okay. He was longing for you all, was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Hey, Philippians, Here's a guy that I want you to hold in high regard. This is the kind of thing I'm talking about. When I'm talking about don't look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. When I'm talking about be like Jesus, I'm talking about this kind of guy. So you and I are to follow Jesus and follow Timothy's example and Epaphroditus' example. And just to remind us, I called it humble service. We could just as easily call it love. Yesterday at our men's breakfast, Colin Michaelis spoke to us and he quoted Francis Schaeffer. And I want to quote Francis Schaeffer as well. I've got a little book on my shelf, Francis Schaeffer, The Mark of the Christian. And right here, W. Trulock, 7-21-1975. I had just turned two years old. Ward gave me this book a few years ago, and uh, I absolutely love it and love that it's got his name in it from when I was but a little tyke. It's a book about the mark of a Christian from John 13, where Jesus said, everybody will know that you're my disciples. How? Because of the necklace you wear? Back in these days, because of the haircut you have? How are they going to know that you're one of my disciples? And of course, the answer that Jesus gave, your love for one another. Schaefer opens. Through the centuries, men have displayed many different symbols to show they are Christians. They have worn marks in the lapels of their coats, hung chains about their necks, even had special haircuts. Of course, there's nothing wrong with any of this if one feels it is his calling. But there is a much better sign, a mark that has not been thought up just as a matter of expediency for use on some special occasion or in some specific era. It is a universal mark that is to last through all the ages of the church till Jesus comes back. What is the mark? It is love. Show you another use of examples here. 
The order is a little bit different on this one. If I was to play off of Coach Kimbrough, sometimes it would go like this. Hey, Mitch, come in here. I want to show you something. Hit the lights. And he would pull up some game film, and he would show me. Hey, I want you to watch Steve on this particular set of plays I want to show you. We're putting in a new package today, and I'm going to tell you about it, but I, but I want to show you first. See how he did this? And, and then after we would watch the film, Coach would then get up, hit the lights, Mitch, turn them back on, and he would talk to me about what he wanted me to do. Well, the example comes first. The, the film comes first here in chapter 3, where we see this incredible example of the Apostle Paul as he looks back upon his life, grateful for the past, but engaged in the present. And briefly, as he looked back upon his past, we already read it, but he looked at his resume. Remember that? If anybody has a, chance, a, a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. And he, he lists out all of his accomplishments that are quite impressive. But he came to realize that it doesn't matter how impressive your resume is. We are all sinners before God. And we need forgiveness. And we need a righteousness that we don't have in and of ourselves. And so from his resume, he went to his rejection. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. So he goes from his resume to rejecting that, and then to resting in Christ. I want to be found in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law or by the things that I do, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul was grateful as he looked back upon his former life to say, you know, I used to trust in the things that I had done in order to be right with God, but I came to realize that's but rubbish, and now I rest in Jesus. And I want to know him. He wrote Philippians probably in 61 A.D. He probably came to faith in Jesus in 33 or 34 A.D. So almost 30 years of walking with Jesus. This man knew Christ. But he said, I want to know him more. So in verse 12, he goes on to his present engagement, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, 
forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's the film. There's the example. Because Paul goes on now in verse 15. Let us, therefore, as many as are, New American Standard has it perfect, probably the idea is mature. Let us, therefore, as, as many of us as are mature, and, and, and I would say that of so many of you here, you're, you're mature in Christ. Let us, therefore, as, and we would say it of Paul too, would we not, 30 years in? This is a mature Christian man. Let us, therefore, as many as are mature, have this attitude. What attitude? The attitude he had just explained. The press-on attitude. The not content nor satisfied where I am attitude. Forget what lies behind. Press on to what lies ahead. Lay hold of that which Christ laid hold of me. As many as are perfect have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, he probably has in mind there maybe, maybe the immature believers among the Philippian church, and maybe that's some of us today. God will reveal that to you. Paul has great confidence that even the more immature believers there in the Philippian church would, would come to adopt this attitude too. This press-on attitude, this pursuit of Christ to know him, to grow in him. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have obtained. Maybe the idea is, whether mature or immature, wherever you at, you're at, whatever you're understanding of the Christian life is, live up to that. Verse 17, brethren, join in following my example. I think he has in mind the example he's just laid out here. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Don't just follow my example, Paul says. Follow those who walk according to this pattern. Again, D.A. Carson commenting on this passage says, Sadly, not all believers, not even all Christian leaders, adopt the stance that Paul views as normal and normative. So look around carefully and emulate those who are continuing to grow spiritually, not those who are stagnating. Beware of those who project an image of smug self-satisfaction. Imitate those who keep on imitating Christ. So friends, let us humbly love and let us passionately pursue Christ. And where we need it, let us imitate these biblical examples. 
Whenever I learned Bible study methods from Prof. Hendricks, he would teach us about um, observation and then interpretation and then application. And, and one of the little tools he used, as well as others, is sometimes you want to put your specs on when it comes to applying God's truth. And so what do you mean by that? Well, specs. S, are there any sins that I need to avoid? P, are, are there any promises that I need to claim? E, are there any examples I need to follow? C, are there any commands I need to obey? S, are there any supplications? Fancy word for prayer. Are there any prayers that I need to pray? Certainly, I think Paul in the book of Philippians is encouraging us to follow these examples. He wanted the Philippians to follow the example of, of, of Jesus. And he wanted them to follow the example of Timothy and follow the example of Epaphroditus. He even wanted them to follow his example and those who walk with this same pattern. And so where need be, let's, let's go back to the Scriptures and remind us what God is calling us to be. And then... Just as Paul was able to look around and see flesh and blood examples in his own life, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and these others who walk in the same way that he did, you and I can do the same. If you need help in your marriage, look around and find a couple in this church that you say, you know what, I know they're not perfect, none of us are, but I know that they've got, a, they've got a good marriage, if not a great one, and then initiate to get with them. Don't wait on them. Say, hey, can we go to coffee? Can we grab a meal together? I'd love to ask you some questions about your marriage. Maybe it's just you, husband, getting with that husband, or just you, wife, getting with that wife, and, and saying, you know what, they are an example to follow. And I want to learn from them. Maybe you need help in your parenting. And you know there's no perfect parents here, but you do know that there are some who maybe have been a little bit better than you, at least at this stage of life. They are an example of Christian parents that you'd love to learn from. Initiate. Hey, can we get together? I got some questions I'd love to ask you about raising kids. You need help in the workplace. Man, how do I how do I live the Christian life in the crazy workplace I find myself in? And you know there's others that have gone through it, have gone through it, and done it not perfectly, but maybe pretty well. Hey man, can we get together? I, I got some questions I'd love to just ask how you've been able to follow Jesus in the workplace. Need help with your finances and how to steward them as God might be calling you? Initiate with someone who can help. You need, you need help with your prayer life or Bible study or telling others about Jesus? Find some examples. Find some folks worthy of emulating and get with them. 
You've been watching them. There's something about them you like. Get with them and talk to them and ask them. And as they have followed Jesus and as they are following Jesus, you follow right along. Let's pray and let's sing. Father in heaven, would you use these biblical examples and then the flesh and blood examples right here in our church family to help us all follow Jesus more joyfully and more faithfully. And I do pray, God, if, if there's any, any here who, maybe it's marriage, maybe it's parenting, maybe it's whatever it is, that maybe you would use this word this morning to, to encourage them to find a brother, a sister to talk to. And Lord, we pray from it would come great spiritual growth, great love, great pursuing of Christ, great obedience, and great joy. And if there are any here today who, like the Paul of old, were, were, are trusting in their resume, Father, would you please bring them to that point you brought Paul to in realizing our resume doesn't matter. We're sinners. We need forgiveness. We need righteousness that we don't have in ourselves and that, God, you have provided it through your son, Jesus. And would you open their eyes to trust in him, to rest in him, to be found in him. We'll pray in Jesus' name. Amen.